Psalm 150. Praise ye the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in the firmament of his power. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the psaltery and harp. Praise him with the timbrel and dance. Praise him with stringed instruments and organs. Praise him upon the loud cymbals. Praise him upon the high-sounding cymbals. Let everything that have breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Here we have the crescendo of praise in this last psalm. We have the whole psalm given to the matter of praise. It's like a great doxology. The final doxology in the Psalter. You'll notice that it begins and ends with the same expression, hallelujah. Praise ye the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. And the last five psalms in the Psalter have the same beginning and the same end. The previous four as well as this one, the first verse and the last verse. Each psalm enclosed with this hallelujah. Praise ye the Lord. Uh, and this psalm particularly is the grand climax, the great closing piece, the crescendo that the Psalter eventually reaches. So this is the, the climax then. And you have to be drawn into the atmosphere of this psalm. As some words have come to mind whenever you read this psalm. It would be joy. There's an atmosphere of joy here. Praise the Lord. There's an atmosphere of celebration. Uh, the word jubilee, jubilation comes to mind. Coronation. We'll be having a coronation soon. It's a time of mourning now for us, of course, with the death of Her Majesty. But we know that there's going to be a coronation soon, and that will be a time of joy and gladness, a time of festivity, a time of, of music, loud-sounding music and cymbals and trumpets. This is like that, a, a coronation. Or, or like a marriage, where you have all these instruments at the marriage festival, at the marriage feast, public jubilee, a public celebration. Now that's the kind of atmosphere of this, this last psalm. So it is a psalm of praise. But it's also a psalm of prophecy. It's not only the end of the Psalter, but it is also a prophecy of the end of the church's life on earth. We, we need the Psalms throughout all life. We need the Psalms every day. But there'll come the time whenever the Psalm book will end on earth and that praise that we have on earth will go into the new heavens and the new earth. And this, this is a prophecy of that, of the praise that will bring us into the new heavens and the new earth, the, the universality of praise. It's a prediction of the end of the world and the universal praise that shall sound as we enter into the new. So the sounds here remind us that one day the world will end and it will bring in another world, a new heaven and a new earth. 
And that will be the, the jubilee in the cosmos. The jubilee in the universe. Whenever God brings us into that, that everlasting praise. So I, I believe there's something of prophecy here. Of the end and of the new. What it's going to be like. Heaven is a place of, of praise. Of endless praise. This crescendo of praise. That never ceases. So let's look at the psalm then. Try to cover it in, in one sermon. If we're able to do that. I want you to notice first of all. The command to praise. The imperative of praise. You notice the first verse. Praise ye the Lord. And then notice again, praise him in the firmament of his power. And then verse 2, praise him, praise him. Then verse 3, twice again, praise him, praise him. And it goes on. And I think there are 13 imperatives where we are commanded to praise the Lord. Praise ye the the Lord. So these are commands. This praise is not an invitation merely. It's not uh, an expression of, you know, take it or leave it. It's actually their commands. It's a psalm that would stir up the people of God to praise Him. So God is calling us, He's calling the church, He's calling the church as it goes into the new heavens and the new earth to sound forth praise to God. Thirteen imperatives in this. And you notice not only the imperative to praise, praise ye the Lord, but also the object of praise is clearly stated, clearly defined. Praise ye the Lord. Praise God, just the Lord, just God. Then at verse 6, let everything that have breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Now you'll notice that the name of God occurs four times, at the beginning twice, at the end twice. Three times he's called Jehovah. Jehovah God is the object of praise. His name is used three times. This God, Jehovah, called Jehovah three times, perhaps indicating the Trinity, this triunity in the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It is the triune God that we are to praise. So uh, it's the Lord. Only the Lord is to be praised. Notice the pronouns throughout. Even when it doesn't use the name of God, it says, praise him in the firmament. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet, so on and so forth. Him. God alone is to be the object of praises, of the praises of the church. God gets all the praise. There's no glory to man. There's no praise of man. There's no deifying of the saints. There's no exaltation of the creatures. It's God alone who gets all the glory. 
He can only get the glory. It is he that made us. It is the Lord that has redeemed us. We are just creatures. Anything that we do, we do in his power and in his grace. We are unprofitable servants. We are not deserving of praise because anything we use and do is because God has given us that ability, those gifts, that opportunity. All the praise is God's. So we don't praise Mary. We don't praise the greatest of the saints. We don't praise the holiest of men of God. But we recognize their service. We honor their memory. We will be glad to fellowship with them in the glory. But we all stand on the same playing field. Creatures redeem sinners. And God alone gets the glory. Praise him. This is what it is throughout all eternity. In the new heavens and the new earth. Praise him. God gets the glory. For he has the majesty. So the, the imperative of praise the object of praise, the Lord. And then thirdly, the people of praise. You know there's a call here from God and it says, praise ye the Lord. Uh, Praise ye the Lord, it says. This is the people. Who is this people? Well, it's those who have the psalm, who are addressed, who have the psalter, It's the people of God. The ones who read the text. The ones who hear the word. It's the people of God who have the Bible. What does it say about the people of God? Unto them were committed the oracles of God. They have the Bible. They have the word of God. And they as the possessors of the word. The believers in the word. The trusters in the God and Saviour revealed in the word. They're the ones who are called to praise the Lord. Praise ye who have the Psalter. Praise ye you who have the faith of the true religion. You who have the knowledge of the true and living God and his son Jesus Christ. Praise you the Lord. Of course that's us isn't it? It's a call to us to praise the Lord. Now whenever the psalm was written. Uh, it was mainly Jews, it was Israel. The Bible says, unto Israel were the oracles of God committed. So it was in the Old Testament, Israel, mainly Jews who believed in God, who were addressed thus to praise the Lord. They had God's word. They were the ones who professed the true religion, the redeemed, and at that time mainly Jews. It's not only Israel, because you notice there in verse 6, what does it say in verse 6? Praise ye the Lord. That's, that's Israel. That's the people of God now. But then in verse 6 it says, Let everything that have breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And, and I think that's a reference to, to the Gentiles. It's Israel who first got the Psalter. They have to praise the Lord. But they recognize that as it comes to the end and before we go into the new heavens and the new earth, there'll be others who'll be brought in. Gentiles will be brought in. And so the command is, everything that has breath, praise the Lord. Not just Jews, but Gentiles too. All redeemed. 
Now, I don't think the reference here is to animals or rational creatures. There's some who think that, that even the animals are called to address God, everything that had breath. But I don't think that's a reference to animals at all. I don't think it's a reference to birds or mammals or anything like that. I think it's a reference to men, to living souls. Whenever you read about breath here, you think about creation. What did God? He made man. And what did he do? He breathed into him the breath. The breath of life. So everyone that has a breath of life, just as in the, new, in the old creation, man was made and he had the breath of life. So as we enter into the new creation, there'll be the redeemed humanity and they'll have the breath of life. Everlasting life. Eternal life. They enter into the new cosmos with this eternal life this eternal breath of life, and everything that has breath, praise the Lord. This is, this is the souls of men. This is the resurrected uh, humanity of the redeemed through Jesus Christ. Those that have a soul, those that have a spirit, uh, united to the body. You see, in the Bible, sometimes prayer is called breathing. You have that, for example, in Lamentations, chapter 3, verse 56. Thou hast heard my voice, hide not thine ear at my breathing, at my cry, at my breath. And so they are quite right who say it's just the living souls, it's men here. And I think we have in mind here the Gentiles will be brought in. The church is going to get bigger. It's not just going to be Israel. Who, who had the first Psalter, as it were, in the Hebrew in the Old Testament, even before Christ came. But even Israel is to know it's going to get bigger, the orbit of praise, so that if one day everything that has breath will praise the Lord. So this is, this is you and me, the Gentile church, those who've been brought, who've been grafted into the olive tree, who've been born again, who have been raised from the spiritual death that we had in our father Adam and we're spiritually alive now to pray and to praise God. Everything that has breath, praise him. So this is a call to Gentiles that have been saved as well as Jews who know the Lord. So the people of praise, the redeemed people of God, Jew and Gentile. And then fourthly, the place of praise. What does it say there in verse 1? There are two places in verse 1. Praise God in. This is the place of prayer. In his sanctuary. Praise him in. Here's another place. In the firmament of his power. These are the places that the people of God inhabit. These are the places that the people of God know something about and that whenever they're in those fields, those orbits, those spheres, they see something about God to praise Him. Praise Him in the sanctuary. Praise Him in the firmament of His power. Now, His sanctuary, uh, first of all, praise Him in His sanctuary. Sanctuary... That makes us think of a holy place. That's what a sanctuary is. A holy place. A holy place 
wherever that might be, but it's where God is himself. Wherever that might be, in heaven, in his church, in his people, wherever God dwells, and God is pictured as dwelling many places in the Bible, but wherever God dwells, it's a holy place because he makes it holy by his presence. It's his praises in his sanctuary. It's not so much important where it is, but what it is. It's a holy place. As I say, it might be heaven, and heaven is a holy place, because there's no sin there, and God's throne there is there, and he reigns in the midst of heaven. Doesn't the Bible say, worship him in his holiness? That's the sphere. We must never forget that God is holy. We must never forget that his house is holy, where he puts his name. We must never forget that when his people come together, they form a holy place, for they are a holy people, meeting in the holy name. And where they worship him, they worship him in the beauty of holiness. And of course that means with reverence, and with fear, and with having our hearts sprinkled with the blood of sprinkling, and have a pure heart and hands that are clean. Because it's a sanctuary. You remember how Moses, God was in the bush and the bush burned. And he drew near to God and God said, take your shoes off Moses. It's a holy place. The place where your feet are is a holy place. Take your shoes off. Because God, when he's worshipped, is worshipped in holiness. So maybe his house. And his house is a holy place. And this house here ought to be a holy house. Nothing irreverent ought to be done in it whenever we come together to worship him. So we praise the Lord in his sanctuary. And the congregation of his saints sometimes is called in the Bible. And in the new heavens and in the new earth, God will dwell in his people. There'll be no temple. There'll be no sanctuary. Because God will be with his people. He'll be the sanctuary. He'll be the temple. And they'll be praising him in God in his glory, in his person, in his presence, in his holiness, in the beauty of his holiness. And of course, this makes us think of of Christ. As some have said that here the rendering may be in the Holy One, not just the holy place, but in the Holy One, a person. And who is the, the sanctuary of God? Who is that person in whom we meet God? That's Christ, isn't it? Isn't he the temple of God? Didn't he say, destroy this temple and three days I'll raise it up? He's a temple. Didn't he say, whenever they were all doing their ceremony around the temple, didn't he say, come unto me, all ye that thirst, and I'll give you the water of life, the living water, drink from me. He's saying, he's a temple that the waters come out of, the waters gush out of, the temple of God. And so the Christians in Christ in Christ, in the sanctuary of God, in the Lord Jesus. And that's the only place we can worship God. You can't worship God out of Christ. You have to be in the sanctuary to worship God. You have to be in Christ, in the Holy One of Israel to worship Him. And praise God that His people are in Christ. And that's why God receives our worship. And that's how we can worship Him, the way that we ought Because you really can't worship God until you're in Christ and you appreciate the place that you're in. Whenever you appreciate the place that you're in, then you really worship God. Oh, I'm in Christ. I've been saved. I've been redeemed. 
You see the glory of Christ. You see the person of Christ. You see the cross of Christ. You see what he's done for you. In the sanctuary, you see all of this. In Christ, you behold all of this. And you can worship him aright. So you worship him in his holy one. In his holy place. In his, in his sanctuary. But then secondly, the firmament of his power. Now, this is something else. Uh, the firmament of his power. What what? What are we to make of this? I think that this language calls us to remember Genesis 1, doesn't it? When you read of the firmament and of the power that was manifested in that firmament, you think of creation, don't you? Because there we see, read that in creation, God said, let there be a firmament and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God divided the waters which were above the firmament from the waters which were below the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. So there's a firmament here. And what, what the psalmist is saying is the created cosmos. The creation in, in earth. And, and you look up at the heaven. You're, you're under the globe. You're under the firmament of heaven. Let everything that is in that sphere Every created man and woman. And we are created. We are creatures. We are in that place. We are in the firmament. We see the mountains and the seas and the stars and the moon. God has put us in the firmament. And we see his handiwork. Doesn't it make us think about uh, Psalm, Psalm 19? And we'll come on to that in a wee moment. But we are in the creation. And we see his handiwork. And we, we worship him. So there's the firmament of his power. The created heavens, the created earth. And we really, brethren and sisters, we can't praise God unless we're in those places. Creatures who sees all his handiwork, his power, and we praise him. And in his temple in Christ, and we see his redemptive power and glory, and we praise him. So it's only those who are in the, the, these spheres. Now of course there are men who are not saved. And they are in the firmament. They're in the creation. But they're dead in sin. They've never been raised from the spiritual death. They've never entered into the sanctuary. They're not in Christ. And therefore they, 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 they can't praise him. The way that the saints are called to praise him. And so we can praise him as creatures and as those that are redeemed. And that brings us on to the fifth thing. Which is the reason for praise. There are reasons for praise. And you have that in verse 2. Praise him. There are two reasons. First of all praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. These are the themes of praise. First of all. His mighty acts. His powerful wonders. His great works. You see, as I've already hinted, the sanctuary and the firmament, there reveal his mighty works. His handiwork. Psalm 19. The heavens, the firmament, the creation, declares the glory of God. And the firmament showeth his handiwork. Every day 
They're proclaiming the speech. Every night they're telling, telling forth the knowledge of God's power and God's majesty. You hear the thunder. You see the lightning. You see the greatness of the stars. And all of it, his mighty acts. His powerful creation. And so you have to praise him for his mighty works. And we should, his works in creation and his works in providence because he didn't just work in creation and then stop and go away and leave it all to itself. No, he, he upholds it in his providence and he still works with his hands in the firmament in his providence. And we see his works every day in providence. And God's people should study his mighty works and his mighty acts and watch them and observe them and think upon them and worship him because of these wonderful works of God amongst the sons of men. So the firmament reveals his creative work, his providential work, and the sanctuary, all that reveals his redemptive work. We go into the sanctuary, we see the cross work, we see Calvary, we see the blood of sprinkling, that's upon the mercy seat. We see all that Jesus Christ has done in the sanctuary for us as our great high priest. When we go into the sanctuary, we see the priestly work, we see the intercession work, we see the wonderful Redeemer that we have, his mighty acts in the sanctuary for our salvation. Uh, and we ought to praise him in the sanctuary when we see these things. And so we, we read in the book of Revelation, they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways. All nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. So all these works, God's people praise him for them as his judgments even. And at the end of the world, we begin to see the judgments of God being made manifest. And God's people are going to praise him for his works in all of these things, the mighty, mighty works. But then secondly, not only for his works, it says praise him according to his excellent greatness. You know, even if God didn't do anything, he would still be great. We're to praise God not just for what he does, his mighty acts, but we're also to praise him for who he is, his excellent greatness, his great greatness, his majesty, his, as we might call it, abundant greatness. So it's who he is. The Lord is great, the Bible says, and greatly to be praised. Even if we were blind and didn't see his works, in himself he's great. And we should just praise him for his greatness. Now, of course, the order is right. We see his greatness in the works. We don't really see how great God is until we see his works. Just like you don't know how a man's a great joiner until you see his works and you know he's a great joiner. And then you can praise him for being a great joiner. You don't have to see his works anymore. You know he's that. And that's the way it is with God. We see his works and then we begin to realize he's a great creator. He's a great redeemer. And we begin to realize he's even greater than his works. His works are mighty. His works are great. 
But he's far greater than any of his works that can do those works. And so we rise from the, from the works to the person. And we get taken up, not just with the works, but we get taken up with the person of God for his greatness. I know that the Holy Spirit taught us that. Just to be taken up with the greatness of God. To realize his greatness. Now we can't search out his greatness. The Bible says his greatness is unsearchable. It's past finding out. But he's great. And he deserves great praise. Greatly to be praised. The Bible says. So this greatness surpasses all the universe and all his works. And he's excellent above everything he does. Great in himself. And then lastly, the instruments of praise. You notice there's a great orchestra here. I want you to notice that there are six levels here of praise that that bring in these instruments in verse 4. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. That's the shofar. Praise him with the psaltery and harp. That's the second stage. Praise him with the timbrel. And dance, that's the third stage. Praise him with stringed instruments and organs, that's the fourth. Praise him upon the loud cymbals, that's the fifth. Praise him upon the high-sounding cymbals, that's the sixth. So you see this, this enclosure of these different levels of praise with the instruments. It's like an orchestra, isn't it? I'm sure you've all heard an orchestra perform and all the different instruments, and all the different levels, and everybody coming in in their own time, and the harmony. It's a great crescendo of praise. And this last psalm brings in the great orchestra as we go into the new heavens and the new earth, as it all comes to an end, as it all closes up in time, and we go into eternity, into the new, into the new psalter, into the new song. There's this crescendo of praise. There's this orchestra all these instruments these are instruments of of public joy uh, such as at coronations at jubilees and such like things and many of the hebrew instruments are referred to here and that's a little study in itself the hebrew musical instruments but they're all here the point is not that the church has to have an orchestra every week We have to have bands and all the musical instruments. That's not what this psalm teaches. This psalm is telling us that God's praise, when it goes into eternity at the end, whenever all the church comes together, they'll be praising him with heart and soul and voice, with all their might and with all their being. There'll be the great loudness. Speaking of the loudness of praise, it's speaking of the unity of praise, the harmony of praise, where all these things are coming in together. There'll be such harmony. We don't have harmony much here on earth below. You know, there's different denominations, different churches. Um, we're all divided and we don't look very harmonious as the Christian church. But in the end, the orchestra will come together and there'll be great harmony, great unity. And all the hands and all the parts will be playing together. The orchestra will be there. The church and all the holy angels will be the orchestra and the choir. The sense is that all that we have ought to be consecrated to God. Augustine says about this, 
that no kind of faculty is here omitted. All are enlisted in praising God. And that's true. If you think about the the parts of our humanity that are needed to play these instruments, there there are some that require breath. And every man of breath, praise the Lord, you blow the trumpets. There are trumpets here that require the breath. And then there are the instruments that require the fingers, the psaltery and the harp. But all that are fingers, praise the Lord. And then the dance, is not the feet. Your feet for God. Praise Him with your feet. Praise Him in the dance. Now, of course, we don't dance. We don't dance in God's house. We don't do it literally. And, and the Bible doesn't teach that. In the temple, there were some musical instruments, but not in the synagogue. Whenever they sung the Psalms in the synagogue, they had no musical accompaniment. Uh, they there weren't, there weren't in the synagogue. There were some in the temple, of course. But the sense is, use your feet, your whole humanity, your whole being. And then the symbols, the hands are clapping together, and the high-sounding symbols, the, the big bangs from the symbols and the tapping of the timbrels. So it speaks of the different aspects of our humanity. It also speaks about you know some of these instruments women played. The women came out with their timbrels. They were the kind of instruments that they played. David, the men, they played the harp. The men blew the trumpets. The priests blew the trumpet. There were priests. There were ordinary men, there were ordinary women who had their instruments. And so the sense is that all the church comes together, men and women, priests and non-priests as it were, Jews and Gentiles, all of them coming together in the great orchestra and nobody's excluded, young and old, all with your different gifts, with your different talents. We can't all blow trumpets. We can't all play harps. We can't all beat, as it were, cymbals together. We've all different gifts different abilities, even into eternity. Um, whatever we have, whatever we are, we are to use it in the praise and in the glory of God. I think that's, that's the sense that is to be set forth in these instruments of praise. Praise Him with your whole being. Praise Him with all your gifts and talents and abilities. Just give your whole self to the service of God. The God who is mighty in his acts. And excellent in his greatness. And that God is revealed in his son. Our dear saviour Jesus Christ. Our Lord. And to him be all praise and all glory. May he help us to praise him. As we ought. Amen.